0: Well, it's a joy and a privilege to open God's Word with you again this morning and to cover this important topic this morning. Last week, Dale helped us think through some biblical considerations and responses regarding physical illness and the physiological interaction between the body and the soul, the outer man and the inner man in physical illness. And next week, Pastor Aaron will continue this series teaching about biblical soul care in the midst of trials and suffering. For this week, I've been assigned the topic of worry and fear, and much has been written on this topic, and so what I intend to present to you this morning is just a subset of some of what could be said on this matter. Pray with me as we begin. Father, we love You and we love Your Word and we love Your Son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts through Your Word and use our time this morning to reframe our understanding of worry and fear and further align our thinking to what You have revealed to us through Your all-sufficient Word on the matter. Sanctify us as we seek to respond obediently, amen. Well we live in a post-Fall world, in a post-Genesis 3 world, don't we? We all know that. We all worry to some extent or other and we all have been afraid. We have thoughts and emotions that are common to all and ours come individually to, in relation to the specific situations in which we find ourselves. We live in a world with uncertainties all around us. Sin is in us and it is all around us and we are not in control. We want to know more about life on earth and what God has in store for us, but He has not given us all the details that we want. But He's given us everything we need to know, hasn't He? We suffer loss. Others sin against us. The creation groans. We experience pain intermingled with the vast blessings from God. And yet we often worry and fear in the face of life's varied situations and circumstances. Yet all worry and fear We all worry, and we can be fearful. But what do you do about it when it shows its head? How ought we, believers in Christ, respond when worry and fear hits us? Worry and fear come on a range or a spectrum. It can range from fear of a specific situation to fear of what others may think of us, to the fear of death, maybe even a slow and painful death. And there are an infinite number of combinations and permutations in between. Maybe your fear is that of discomfort, or fear of experiencing something hard, or there's something that you don't want to face. We all have a comfort zone and we like to stay in it, don't we? It often takes a motivational speech to push us outside of our comfort zone, and that's usually done in the name of personal growth, as if personal growth were the ultimate goal. But, the goal, but our goal is not personal growth in that sense but rather growth in godliness for the glory of Christ and of the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our goal is uh, sanctification, that is being made more and more like Christ on this earth until the day when we see Him face to face. We aren't concerned about eliminating worry and fear but rather responding to it in accordance with God's revealed Word. And so let's jump in and think biblically, let's seek to think biblically about worry and fear this morning. And I want to begin with a familiar term, anxiety. Anxiety can simply be compared to concern. We can be concerned for many reasons. Concern is either for one thing or for another. And while we are people with responsibilities before God, we live in a fallen world and we are not the ones in control. And so when we are concerned, it's important to look at the object of our concern and to understand it. What is it that we are concerned about and why are we concerned? And that's how you can begin to understand if you have godly concern or ungodly concern. When we see anxiety or concern described in Scripture, it's the biblical context around those verses that will clue us in to understand if the concern that the Bible writers are talking about is godly or ungodly concern. In the New Testament, the same Greek word, has been translated in English as either care or concern or anxiety regarding godly concern cares for the right things or the uh, godly concern is care for the right things for the right reasons it includes an ultimate trust in god's sovereign control and his faithfulness godly concern is what helps you live out your responsibilities before god Godly concern focuses on the responsibilities of today, eternal goals, and other people. For example, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 speaks of a single person being concerned about pleasing the Lord, whereas the married person must also be concerned about pleasing their spouse. God wants us to be concerned about what is true and helpful from His perspective. We can have godly concern and we can also have ungodly concern. Ungodly concern goes beyond reasonable concern and it involves worry about mere possibilities. One author says that anxiety usually involves worrying about what could possibly happen. Can you relate to that? When we experience concern that does not stay within the bounds of Scripture, we definitely feel a lack of peace and trust in those moments. We are not focused on what is true and helpful. When we are anxious, we are mostly concerned that something we want to happen will not happen, which means we're actually focused on the difficulties of the future, temporal things and self. This ungodly concern or anxiety is synonymous with the term of worry. And first we'll talk about what worry is not. Worry is not a proper concern and a proper care that causes you to attend to business in a responsible way. We see one example of a proper concern in 2 Corinthians 11:28. Paul is after listing the extensive hardships that he endured in ministry, the beatings, the imprisonments, the lashes, and the shipwrecks, he includes that, in addition, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So despite or in the midst of repeated personal and painful hardships, he had concern for all the churches. Philippians 2.20 Paul speaks about Timothy that he has no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for the Philippians' welfare. Worry is also not planning the right way, which we see in James 4, where we understand that when we plan, we are to hold those plans loosely, fully entrusting them to God's will. We We are to plan with a thoughtful consideration toward the future should the Lord tarry, but ultimately submitting the plan to God's sovereign purposes. So, what is worry? Worry is an over anxious concern about the future. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Jesus is teaching in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, and He has just taught in the preceding verses before verse 25 that we are to live for eternal purposes and not to live for material treasures and pleasures of this world. We are to serve only God. The Greek word translated anxious in the ESV or worried in the NASB in Matthew 6.25 says that we are not to be anxious about what tomorrow may hold, but instead we are to focus on what we are called to do today. It says this in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be worried or anxious about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor of the body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your Father, heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much, not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the, how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Therefore... And then there's the put off command to not be anxious there's the put off command to not be anxious about even the most basic needs of life. And the put on command comes in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So above all our priority ought to be living for Christ and trusting that God will provide for the most basic needs of the future. And then the conclusion in verse 34 says, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So the culmination of this passage calls us to trust in God's promise that He will provide as we are seeking to live for Him. This focuses our efforts and our concerns to the matters of today that God has brought our way. It's a call to put Proverbs 3, 5-8 to 8, into practice which says, "'Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones.'" Next you might wonder, how do I know when I've begun to worry or crossed over into, uh, from concern to worry? Well, concern becomes worry and therefore sin when our thoughts are focused on changing the future, trying to control outcomes. When our thoughts dominate how to so orchestrate events such that our desired outcome occurs. And the word there, I think a key word is dominate if that dominates our thinking. We do plan, but is it dominating your thinking? Thoughts are unproductive. When worry controls you instead of you controlling it, that's when it happens. You can't seem to take the next step, perhaps, or even decision-making is extremely difficult or seems impossible. It may cause you to neglect clear responsibilities and current relationships because you devote the bulk of your brain power, of your thinking, of your time, which God has given us to be a steward of, We devote that bulk of our brain power to stewing over the matters that you want to control. It can damage your body physically, it can produce ulcers in the stomach, for example. It can drain the vitality in life. Concern becomes worry when you lose hope instead of finding answers when you stop functioning God's way. So why is worrying wrong? Worrying is wrong because it is unproductive, it accomplishes nothing. Matthew, in addition to what God's command to not do it, that would be sufficient enough, wouldn't it? Matthew 6 in verse 27 says that worry cannot add a single hour to your lifespan. It's a thief of time, verse 34 says, it robs you of today's productivity. It controls your mind, it damages your body. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. A worrier. Usually stops functioning in many areas of life. And worry is actually laziness. We can think of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 uh, that slaves that did not worry were productive and were rewarded, and the one that did worry became unproductive and was called out as being a wicked and lazy slave. Worry is also, so it's unproductive, it's also unnecessary. It's unnecessary because God is able and trustworthy. Christian, do you believe this? Then why do you worry? Back in Matthew 6, verses 28 to 30, it says, "We will not will He not much more clothe you." We need to remember that. God is concerned about your basic needs. In verse 26 it says, your, Jesus says, your heavenly Father feeds the birds. Are you, not much, are you not more valuable to Him than the birds? And the implied answer is emphatic, it is yes, He will, He does. He will clothe you as well. Worry is unbelief that God will care. Worry is unbelief that God will care for you. Do you ever think about it that way? So next, worry is also unbecoming of a Christian. To worry is to live like unbelievers who worry about the basic needs of life. They focus on earthly values, not eternal values. They focus on what they can gain or what they will lose. It's unbecoming because it focuses on what one does not have. It focuses on the gift and not the giver. It has no hope thus, and thus worry is idolatry. Scan your eyes up to Matthew 6.24, up higher up on the page there, where you can only serve one master. If you love this life and its comforts, then you will find that you tend to live in order to preserve your life and your comforts instead of living for God and serving Him. And so we need to examine ourselves. Here are some questions you can ask yourself and ask God to reveal to you. What do you talk about in the regular course of your day? Listen to what you communicate in your routine conversations. Is it your worries? Why might that be? Who do you tend to go to most often with your worries? To others or God? Do you take it to the Lord in prayer, as the hymn says, reminds us to do? Is there anything that you're presently worried about? Are you struggling with sleep? or sleeping through the night. That doesn't mean it's only worry. There could be many other reasons for that, but that could be an indication. You could recall the last five times that you were worried, the recent ones, and try to explain what the situation that was involved there. How were you processing life? How were you thinking? How did you respond to your worries? What did you do or what did you not do? And what were the results of being sinfully anxious, if you were and wasn't helpful? Did you neglect responsibilities? And in what ways were you not trusting God? We can look for that as we're thinking through those questions. If God has saved you, He has saved you to transform you such that your life would be increasingly conforming to the image of Christ. And so we can't just not seek to change. So let's look now at how to replace worry and renew the mind. How to replace worry and renew your mind. First, some wrong ways to avoid. And let's put up just some guardrails here to protect us from falling into the pit of leaning on our own understanding as we seek to put off worry. One is don't try to minimize it. Don't try to minimize your worry. Avoid pious wishing that it will just go away with time. Avoid striving in your own efforts, thinking that I can handle this and I just need to change my responses and my thinking on my own, all while living, leaving God out of the equation. So don't live life like that as a fool by omitting God from the picture. That's what a fool does, one, one who seeks to live life apart from God as if God was not involved in his life. Don't lose yourself in activity thinking that if I can just keep myself busy, then I won't worry. We can beware of the wrong kind of praying as well where you might ascribe your worry as if it were a demon and from which you need to be delivered, praying, Lord, take this demon of fear and anxiety away from me, deliver me now. Anxiety, ungodly worry, and fear are sins that come from within our hearts. They're not demons, plus Christians can't be possessed by demons. Avoid simply talking about it, thinking that... I will feel better if I can just have a cathartic discussion with a friend or a counselor That that's talk, talk therapy, just looking for um, mental relief or psychological relief. If you talk, you might feel better to, uh, and find some sort of short-term um, betterment in your, the way you feel when your friend commiserates with you and gets down in the mud and wallows around because then you realize he's just like you or maybe he's even worse than you. And all of a sudden, you don't feel so bad. Instead, go to God in prayer and speak to the One who knows your every care and desire before you even say it. And pour out your heart to Him and seek refuge and strength in Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord." And that's where we're going next. We want to deal with our worry God's way. We looked at Matthew 6 already, seek first the God's kingdom and His righteousness. As the priority in your life, even over and especially over what we consider the most basic needs of life for, of, that would be concerned about for the future food, water, protection from the elements, their clothing. Christians ultimately are to live for God first, and then all these things will be added to you. We know we're to renew the mind, we're to take every thought captive, and so what is God's way for doing this? Philippians 4. Verses 4 through 9 is a wonderful passage. And grab your Bibles and turn over there to Philippians 4 with me. You'll remember in the letter to the Philippians that Paul is writing from prison. He's chained to a rotating cadre of Roman guards and he's ministering the gospel to them. He's not sure if he'll be alive the next day or not. And he has not gone internal, thinking only of his own interests, but rather he's writing the letter to the Philippians, to us. The theme of joy and rejoicing is found throughout the letter, and he closed out chapter 3 with the call to join him in pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and then reminded us in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. In four, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul refreshes them with his love and his longing to see them. He exhorts them to stand firm in the Lord. He addresses conflict between two dear ladies in the church. And then in verses 4 through 9 is a wonderful passage that charts the path that we are to follow when we are tempted to worry and to be anxious. Thinking back to Ephesians 4, we can... Remember the call to put off the old self to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self this passage in Philippians four in Philippians four helps us to know how it is that we are to renew our mind as we read this I want you to see a right awareness, a right praying, a right kind of thinking, and a right practice and i'm going to go I'm not going to go in verses 10 to thirteen but in those verses, we'll see Paul living out these things in his own personal example, in his own life. So read along with me, verses, uh, verse 4, and this is the right awareness here, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. We can always rejoice in the Lord when we remember that the Lord is near and that He cares. Next verses six and seven, this is the right praying. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is the double command to not be anxious, but to go to God with your petitions and your pleas. And we're not to and we are to be doing that with a thankful heart attitude that should always accompany our prayers with thankfulness. And when you do, the result will be, in verse 7, that the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So recognize and confess, worry is sin. Thank God for His goal and purposes in trials and make specific requests then in accordance with God's will. And a right kind of praying will lead to what we are to put on and to replace worry which is a right kind of thinking or dwelling. And let's look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Remind yourself of God's bounteous provision, also the certainties and promises that God has revealed in Scripture, such as the certain future, imminent Return of Christ, we can dwell on that. Write them down maybe on paper so that you can see them, read them in your Bible and meditate on them and think on them. This can help you to lift your eyes off your fear and put them on the good God who is God of everything, honorable, right, pure, lovely and worthy of praise and the God who always keeps His promises. Next, the right practice. There is more to put on to replace worry. Um, don't seek to merely stop worrying as if that were the goal. No, no. We want to be holy and to live rightly. If you don't replace worry with the right attitudes and actions, then your repentance is not complete. Remember from before that repentance is a change of mind, so complete that it results in a change of direction. And we must also put on righteousness. So let's look at verse 9. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We are to practice these things. Redirect your faith in self and other people to rather faith in God and let's seek to put on and do the things that the right things that we need to be doing. Putting on a right awareness. A right praying, a right thinking, and a right practice renews our mind and it helps us to put off worry because renewing our mind, reminding ourselves what we know to be true about God and His promises is a key component of sanctification and of changing God's way. Next, let's look at fear. Fear is something that we we all have experienced. It spans the gamut of real and imagined fears, of temporal effects and eternal effects. We have healthy fears that keep our hands and clothing away from a spinning PTO shaft on farm equipment and that keeps us from jumping into the tiger's cage at the zoo, right? We we can have a reverent fear of God when we think deliberately about the reality that we will face God, our judge, at our certain future death or Christ's return, whichever comes first. We have fears and sometimes it seems that we even have a sixth sense to be able to detect what if or the worst case scenarios that could come to pass which threaten our comforts, our ease of life or our plans for the day. Earlier, I read a quote that said, anxiety usually involves worrying about what could possibly happen and the rest of the quote continues and says that fear, and this is talking about ungodly fear, fear goes a step further and is more convinced that what is dreaded will really happen. More convinced that what is dreaded will really happen. And all fears can really be boiled down also to being godly or ungodly, but let's first try to think rightly about godly fear. Grab your Bibles and turn over to Psalm 112, Psalm 112. I want to highlight Psalm 112 verse 1, but this verse builds on Psalm 111 and as I was looking at this... I was reading that and I just want to read what comes before Psalm 112 and then we'll finish with verse 1 there. Uh, It says, Psalm 111 now says, "'Praise Yahweh, I will give thanks to Yahweh with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of Yahweh, they are studied by all who delight in them. Splendor and majestic is His work and His righteousness endures forever. He has made His wonders to be remembered. Yahweh is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear Him. He will remember His covenant forever. He has made known to His people the power of His works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of His hands are truth and justice. All His precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to His people. He has ordained His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever." And then chapter 112 verse 1 says, "'Praise Yahweh. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord who greatly delights in His commands." This is a proper fear of God. And glanced on down to verses 7 and 8, he is not afraid of bad news, speaking of the one who fears Yahweh, his heart is firm, trusting in Yahweh. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Godly fear is a reverent, awe-inspired, a right awareness of who God is and what He is doing. Unbelievers should fear God, believers should fear God, and a godly fear even includes a reasonable fear of danger or difficulty when we put our trust in Him. Psalm 56, 3 and 4 say, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Next, let's look at ungodly fear. Psalm 115 says that you who fear Yahweh trust in Yahweh, He is their help and their shield. Ungodly fear is any other controlling fear in any situation, that's it, any other controlling fear in any other situation. But ungodly fear can be replaced. If ungodly fear leads us to abandon our trust in God in the midst of a difficult circumstance such that the fear now controls our thoughts and our actions. Where do we go wrong? You might wonder, what does God, what is ungodly sinful fear look like, and how did I get to the point where I'm regularly living in sinful fear, or how is it that momentarily I give into it from time to time? Well, I want to try to explain this so that we can have a better understanding of where we might be harboring or living in ungodly fear, and I just want to share a few principles. I think I have five of them briefly here uh, that, I, that I, think, I hope can be helpful. About thinking about ungodly fear. First, our thoughts. Ungodly fears are directly related to what we are thinking. What does Pastor Rick say? How do I, what do I feel? What do I think? What do I know? That so helpfully reminds us of a progression that can go askew but can be corrected. In Genesis 12, Abram forgot that he forgot what he knew and he got caught up in what he felt which influenced what he thought and led to deceitful scheming when he had his wife, Sarai, lie and saying that she was his sister instead of his wife. Listen to the f- fearful certainty in the language that he uses when he was about to enter Egypt. Abram said to his wife Sarah, Sarai, I know that you are a beautiful woman in appearance and when the Egyptians see you they will say, this is his wife and then they will kill me <laughs> but they will let you live. What he should have done rather was remember what Yahweh had just told him three verses earlier which spans more time than through just simple three verses, but that Yahweh would give the land of Canaan to Abram's offspring, of which he had none at that time. In this moment, Abram let his feelings and thoughts of death influence his actions in an ungodly way which led to sin. Brothers and sisters, there are many promises to us, God's people, to us who are God's people in the New Testament, consider this, where are you prone to forget God's precious and Magnificent promises such that you abandon your trust in God in that moment and you rely only on your own understanding instead. So let's remember that our fears are directly related to what we are thinking in the moment. A second principle is about our circumstances. We can, If we focus on our circumstances rather than on God, that leads to sinful fear. We can focus on self. When we have ungodly fear, we are focused ultimately on... On self. And then a fourth one, fearing something else, anything else more than God, leads to sinful fear. We might fear man or unwanted circumstances or losing something or someone dear, maybe bodily harm. We might want any of those things more than God. And we may instead, we may want man's approval or a life of ease or comfort with no pain or money or health or a person or belongings or safety or no pain, we might love those, tend to love those more than God. We could even long for something that's really that's good biblically. Do you remember Rachel's demand to Jacob when she was barren and her intense longing for children which was good to want children? In Genesis 30 verse 1 she says, "'Give me children or I shall die.'" So even the desire for something good can grow inordinately strong such that if God's plans or timing does not match yours, then you can tend to fear and worry with respect to that matter. And a fifth principle is just not being right with God. That can can lead to fear and anxiety. So let me just ask you, do you know God? Do you believe through faith that Jesus has forgiven you of the punishment of your sins in His death on the cross? and that He perfectly lived during this life such that Jesus' righteousness is accounted to you? If you don't, it's no wonder that you're fearful and you should be. But it doesn't have to be this way. I urge you, don't leave here this morning without confessing your sin and putting your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. So how does transformation come about? We can ask the same questions that we asked about worry, so I won't review all of those same ones, but we can ask and examine ourselves before fear hits again. Recall the last time you were fearful, what were you thinking, what were you focused on? Was it the future, temporal things or eternal things? Was your focus on unfounded possibilities? What were you fearing more than God? Again, how did you, what did you do or not do? Some other considerations. Do you have any other unconfessed sin in your life? You can be sure that your salvation is settled. You can repent of any other known sin. And not to be overlooked, I think I may have said it at least once before this, this morning, but let's confess and repent of ungodly fear. We can confess that and repent of that. These other things all contribute to it. Ask God in, to work in your life in this area. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. So ask God to, to work in this area of your life. We could study God's sovereignty, God's grace. We could, surely we will not need to be praying dependent on the Holy Spirit. Commit to love God with all your heart. And be alert. Be ready to use self-control to do battle with your thoughts. Next, in the midst of fear, we can earnestly seek the Lord and His help. So, while the fear is in progress and you're facing that those circumstances, be fully dependent upon Him, and yet sh- keep striving as if it were up to you in in the choices that you're making. It's a both end, and this is the synergistic aspect of sanctification, where God sanctifies you but it's still left up to us to work out our own salvation through obedience and then if we fail or fall, repent when we fall short there. But transformation takes place specifically because our sin takes place specifically. And this is really critical. So, seek to put off being sinfully fearful by answering, what am I fearing more than God? That'll help to identify what it is that we're being fearful of. And this is, we can see, this is still again in the midst of fear. Seek to put on trust and responsibility and love. Focus most on God and His promises. And then make yourself dwell on the right things, like we covered earlier, that are true and profitable thoughts. Stay in the present and think about eternal things, things that God is concerned with. You can ask yourself, how can, I know, how can I now do what is right and then seek to do it in the strength that God provides? Be willing to endure the temptation even, perhaps the fear, to, um, the temptation to fear, endure that if you must in order to love God and others. Endure is the, is the key that I'm focusing on there is just because the temptation is there, it may not necessarily go away. You may have to endure that and God can give you strength to endure after. If you fail and give way to anxiety or ungodly fear, you can ask yourself, how did I sin? You can kind of think back, how did that happen? What, was, what were the circumstances? Be specific in your thoughts and your actions. Ask if I had to do this over again, what would I think and do? And then confess and ask God for forgiveness. So as you seek to mortify your ungodly fears, remember that you're great, omnipotent, All-powerful God is on your side. He has purchased you and secured your salvation with His own blood and you are no longer a slave to sin but by God's grace you can respond in obedience in your greatest and smallest moments of fear. Next I just want to list some common objectives to overcome, objections to overcome so that they can be fresh on your mind so they don't slip in and sabotage your efforts to mortify ungodly fear. Catch these thoughts, these excuses, catch them early and renew them promptly when your heart tries to convince you that it's okay to be sinfully fearful. And I'll just read these. These are from John Flavel. I am unaccustomed to suffering, therefore it's okay for me to be fearful. I'm naturally tender and sensitive or I'm unable to withstand small trials. I'm afflicted with depression. Can you see how these can tend to just justify our sinful fears if you're believing these things? I am afraid that God will abandon me. I'm unable to persevere, and I'm unable to endure a violent death. And then, lastly, at the bottom of your handout is a chart I hope will help you to put these things into action. The actions and attitudes in the left column are fearful and unbelieving and are to be put off, and they're to be replaced with the believing actions and attitudes in the column that des- describes loving trust. A fearful orientation, for example, focuses on self. It's self-protecting and is fearful about what I will lose, whereas a loving, trustful orientation focuses on others. It's self-giving and it wants to give to God and others. To be fearful is to move away from the problem, whereas loving trust, lo- a loving, trusting response takes courage in the promises of God and moves toward the problem to tackle it for resolution. Fear hesitates and secludes self. Loving trust starts, sacrifices self, and reaches out. Fear says, I won't try, but loving trust acts obediently in total dependence on God's grace. Fear is afraid of failure, whereas loving trust continues to reach out, even if it fails. And fear puts trust in self and man, but loving trust... Trust in God. Beloved church, listen to me, this is not some gray area in life that you can just let lie like a sleeping dog in front of the fireplace. I urge you, examine yourself. Where do you need to change and grow? You must change. The good news is that if you have been living in sinful worry and fear, you can repent and turn. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus left the Father and became a man. He lived, died, resurrected and was ascended and ascended to transform you. And He has given you a new heart and He calls you to obey Him. This is how you show your love for God if you what, If you keep His commandments. So brothers and sisters. Turn from your sinful worry and fear, from living for yourself, from living to protect your sense of control and life of ease, and fear God. Put your full trust in the sovereign God who is in absolute control, who is absolutely good, who is holy, unchanging, and who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light stop worrying about the future and hedging yourself in because you believe that the worst case scenario will happen. Instead, take up the responsibilities that God has given you to do today and live for him. Let's pray. Now as we go from here, Father, God of grace and mercy, by your spirit working through your word, cause us to grow through, not just to go through the difficulties of this life where we find ourselves tempted to sinful worry and fear. And if anyone here does not have saving faith, I pray that you would save them, grant them repentance, and give them faith to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And may you do all this in us for your own praise and glory. Amen.